Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Today was the third of a series of messages dealing with Satan's strategy. Now just a moment of review for you, and if you'll look at the screen... Uh, It may help jog your memory. You will remember that three weeks ago, or the third message ago, we looked at Satan's strategy, which is to develop strongholds in your life, spiritual strongholds. We're talking about spiritual warfare, and we're talking about Satan desires to get a ground of entrance into your life and establish a stronghold from which he can operate. Now, the reason he wants to establish a stronghold in your life is, first of all, where there is a spiritual stronghold in your life, he is Lord in that area of your life. For instance, if there is a stronghold of worry in your life, then you just worry about everything. I mean, you worry about your finances, if you're going to be able to pay the bills, you worry about losing your job, you worry about your family, and you worry about your own health, and it's just worry, worry, worry. And it's obvious that Jesus is not Lord in your life, particularly in your thought life, if you're worried about everything. Jesus doesn't want you to worry. He wants you to trust Him. Also, if there's like a stronghold of lust and, and there's just maybe a stronghold of pornography along with that, then in your, again, in the thought life, Jesus is not Lord in that area of your life. Satan is Lord. So He wants to establish a stronghold because in that particular area, He's Lord in your life. And then secondly... In that stronghold area, he can keep you from knowing God intimately. Again, how can a man who is experiencing a stronghold of lust or pornography know the purity of God, know God's holiness? He cannot. How can someone that has a stronghold of worry know God as a God who provides, a God who is faithful? They cannot because they're worried all the time. And so Satan wants to develop strongholds in your life. Now, again, if you were not here for that, you can go online and look at your bulletin as the address in the back of your bulletin. You can go online and listen to that message. Uh, and the message is uh, Satan's strategy, developing strongholds in your life. Now, how does Satan develop those strongholds in your life? And he does so by... First, getting a ground of entrance. He just wants a toehold into your life. Again, we're talking military strategy. And you remember from World War II when, when uh, our forces invaded Normandy and they first hit the beach. They want to establish a beachhead. But they're not going to be satisfied just to have a beachhead. They want to move on further inland and establish a foothold. And they're not going to be satisfied just to do that. They want to move further in and establish a fortress, establish a stronghold, and from that stronghold they can operate. But Satan wants to do the same thing. He wants to establish a stronghold in your life, and he starts with that first willful sin on your part. And it's almost always just a small sin, because all he wants is to get a toehold. He just wants to get a ground of entrance into your life. And so it starts with that first sin that we yield to. And then we yield again to sin in that area. And he moves a little further in and establishes a toehold, a foothold. 
And then we move in a little further as we commit another sin and he establishes a foothold. I've used the illustration of stealing here in the diagram. But again, it can apply to any area of your life. But it all starts with that first yielding to sin. And it may appear to be an innocuous sin. It could be just a little stealing like, well, just change. And we talked about a boy who was eight years old, Bill, who just took some change off his dad's dresser. But that started the stronghold. And then he progressed to stealing other things and shoplifting, and, and he progressed onward. And finally, there was a stronghold of stealing in his life. All right? So you never know where that stronghold, where Satan's going to get that toehold. That's why you cannot afford to sin thinking, well, it won't hurt. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not only spiritual death, but I believe there's something that dies within us when we sin. There is a deadly consequence even the most innocuous sin. So that's how Satan establishes strongholds in our life. Last week, we looked at how you can tear down those strongholds that Satan has established in your life. And again, I'm just going to review for you briefly what we said. You can get the message from last week to get more details. But once that stronghold is established in your life, how can you get rid of it? How can you tear it down? All right, first, you need to make sure you're a Christian. Talked about that. Secondly, realize that only God in His power can remove strongholds. You cannot do it by yourself, but you don't have to. God is willing. He desires to bring down that stronghold in your life. Your part is to yield to His working in your life. Thirdly, we must identify the strongholds in our life. Ask God to show you what are the strongholds that Satan has in my life. And then number four, you must identify and confess specific sins as they relate to that stronghold area. You need to bring it out in the light. As long as it stays in the darkness, Satan has power. He is a, a creature of darkness. He likes things to stay hidden. But when you confess them, you bring them out in the light. And the Scripture says as we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. At this point, you need to bring a friend, a trusted Christian friend alongside of you that you confess, confess to him and he can hold you accountable in this area. And then fifth, you need to vocally counsel out the stronghold in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, counsel it out and claim that area uh, taken away from Satan. Number six, believe in your mind's eye the destruction of that stronghold by Jesus. Remember, just picture Jesus with a bulldozer just bringing down that stronghold like it's a wall and he's just crushing it down. And then number seven, bring the stronghold area under the lordship of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you as Lord in my life. Because remember who was Lord in this area of your life when there was a stronghold? Satan was. So now you say, I reject Satan in this area of my life. I reject Satan in the area of stealing in my life. And I surrender to you, Lord Jesus, in this area of my life. I want you to be Lord in this area. And then number eight, whenever Satan seeks to gain a ground of entrance again, actively resist him and resubmit to Jesus. He's not going to give up. He's going to keep trying to come back in wherever that stronghold area is. He's going to try to come back in and he will seek to regain that ground. So what you must do is as soon as you find that you've sinned in this area, you've got to confess it and you have got to actively resist him and resubmit to Jesus. And then number nine, Immediately confess and forsake every sin, counseling out and refusing Satan any ground of entrance. 
as you confess it and forsake it, you will drive him back out and keep him from establishing a stronghold in your life. But you'll notice when the stronghold has gone, there is still the empty space. And today we're going to talk about how to rebuild that stronghold area for God. How to rebuild it. Now Jesus told a story about a man who was demon-possessed and the demon was cast out. And He said that demon went away and then He came back and found the house all cleaned and straight and He brought back seven demons worse than Himself. And so we can't just leave that stronghold area empty. We need to possess it for God. Now you will remember over in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, and we said there's a parallel, an analogy, between Israel going into the promised land and you establishing victory over these strongholds and you possessing this area for God. You remember, God promised them the promised land. But when they got across the Jordan River, first thing that hit them was Jericho, a impenetrable fortress of the enemy. And there's no way they could possess a promised land until they possessed Jericho. I mean, it was standing right in front of them. And it was humanly impossible. But you remember, Jesus came as the captain of the Lord's host, and He told Joshua if they would march around that city one time for six days, and on the seventh day march around it seven times, and shout that God would cause the walls to fall down. Again, they could not humanly do this, but God's power enabled them. And so they had to go through... See, that stronghold broken down and then they went to Ai and there were other enemy strongholds throughout the promised land that they had to possess for God. But notice what God tells them over in Exodus 23, verse 30. Now, this is before they go in. He says, I will drive them out before you. He's talking about driving the enemy out of the land. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. God didn't just send the hornets and the bees and just clear out all of the enemy before they ever got into the promised land. In fact, He told them one place He was not going to do that because the beast, would, wild beasts and animals would come take over and all of it would just grow up. The gardens and all would just grow up in weeds. But He said, little by little as you go in, I will give you the victory and then you can possess that area and you can take control of it, and you can make it fruit. So in our Christian lives, it's not enough just to drive Satan out and see that stronghold broken down, but you must possess that area for God. You've got to reclaim it for God. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today, how to reclaim these stronghold areas for God. Now, our Scripture passage today is over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll be looking at a number of verses today. But I'll have these other verses up on the overhead uh, for you. But I want us to read together. As I read out loud, Acts, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25. Here Paul is giving some information about rebuilding stronghold areas. And in respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. We are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, 
Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good, for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You may be seated. The first step in rebuilding a stronghold area is to maintain the proper attitude towards sin and your sin nature. Now, there are two things involved in maintaining the right attitude towards sin and your sin nature. First one, you've got to hate sin even as God hates it. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 14, we read, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you're going to reclaim that area for God, you have got to maintain a hatred for sin, even as God hates sin. God is absolutely holy, and there is a violent reaction within God to even the slightest sin. Now, we have got to maintain the same attitude towards sin as God does. Because the problem is, if we don't, then we'll allow that small, seemingly innocuous sin in our lives, and that's all Satan needs to regain that stronghold. If there has been a stronghold of bitterness in your life or a stronghold of unforgiveness in your life, and you have cast that stronghold down by God's power, you have got to maintain the attitude that you will not stand for any bitterness in your life at all. And as soon as someone does something that hurts you and you're tempted to become bitter, you can't afford to nurse that bitterness not even for one second. Because all it takes is for you to nurse it to give Satan that ground of entrance again. You've got to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I refuse to entertain this bitterness. By God's grace, I refuse to be bitter and I choose to forgive them. We've got to hate sin even as God hates it. Now, you remember I was talking to you last week about a fellow named Bill. And Bill had a stronghold of stealing. And we talked about that. Well, we're going to talk about Bill today, but we're going to add Sam today. I don't think there's a Sam in here either, so I think I'm safe. But Sam had a stronghold of lust and pornography. So we're going to be looking at Bill and Sam both today and how they sought to maintain and rebuild these stronghold areas for God. I first hate sin even as God hates it. second thing about maintaining the proper attitude towards sin and the sin nature is to treat your sin nature like a plague. Look over in Romans 13. Paul says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness. Now he's talking to Christians. Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh, and he's not talking about your skin, he's talking about the sin nature, in regard to its lust, to its evil desire. Paul says, put away that old way of living. 
Now, before you became a Christian, you had a sin nature that ruled you as an absolute monarch. It tried as hard as you would to stop. You could only do it for a while and you fell back in because you were a slave. But when you became a Christian, God redeemed you. He bought you out of your slavery to that sin and sin nature and you became His slave to righteousness. So that sin nature was crucified with Christ on the cross. Alright, so it has no more power over you. And so it's important that you maintain the proper attitude toward it, realizing it's not extinct, it still hangs around, alright, and it wants to gain control back in your life, but it has no legal authority in your life. But you can't be buddy-buddy with it. You've got to treat your old sin nature like the plague. You don't want anything to do with it at all. You have got to do everything you can not to make any provisions for the flesh. You don't make any provisions for that sin nature. You keep him at arm's length and you give him absolutely no credence and give him no provisions for him. I was this mean for Bill who has the stronghold of stealing that he's seeking to reclaim for God. That means that when Bill goes to buy gasoline, he pays at the pump. He doesn't go into the convenience store because he knows to go in there. It's just going to put him in the place that he might be tempted to stick a candy bar or something in his pocket because of that stronghold of stealing. And so he pays at the pump. Also, Bill is so serious about keeping this stronghold area for God and not allowing Satan any entrance in it, he commits not to go shopping by himself at all because he knows to do so would be to make provision for the flesh and put him in a position of undue temptation. And so he makes a commitment that when he goes shopping, he gets his accountability partner to go with him. Now you say, well, that's kind of extreme, isn't it? Well, Jesus was the one who said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I think that's pretty extreme, don't you? If your hand causes you to sin, he says, cut it off. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? He says, well, it's better to go into eternal life without a hand and without an eye than to go in eternal hell with both eyes and both hands. Now, Jesus was serious. He was not speaking figuratively. He was serious. It's sin is so drastic. If your eye was what was causing you to sin, you ought to pluck it out and be done with it. But it's not your eye that causes you to sin. It's your sin nature. Your eye is just an avenue. It's not what causes it. So, Jesus was serious. If it was your eye... And you could get rid of sin by plucking out your eye. Jesus said, it is so serious, you ought to pluck it out. You see, he's talking about the seriousness of sin and how we should make no provision for the flesh at all. Now, Sam, who has the stronghold of lust and pornography, well, first of all, he's got to clean out all these magazines from his house. All the penthouse, all the Playboy, all the magazines have got to go. Also, he's got to seriously curtail the television programs he looks at at home. He's also got to change the kind of movies he goes to. Also, he's got to get an internet filter for his internet. And he needs to enter into an accountability with someone. Their covenant eyes is one of the programs you can go on to and you can enter into it and you have an accountability partner and they see every website you go to. Uh, you, their report is sent to them of every website you go to on your computer. And so he enters into something like this because, again, he wants to make no provision for the flesh and he wants to hate sin even as God hates it. Folks, we've got to get serious about sin. We've got to quit 
nuzzling up to it and seeing how far we can go in temptation without falling into it. The Bible says flee, flee sin. Not see how close you can get to it without falling into it, but run from it like the plague. Secondly, completely surrender your body as a holy and living sacrifice to God. Over in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now he's talking about a burnt offering sacrifice. When that animal was placed on the offering and it was burned to a crisp. Now that animal gave it all. Nothing was held back. And that's what Paul has in mind. We need to give ourselves not to be burned on an altar, but a living sacrifice. We are to give ourselves totally and absolutely, completely to God, just like that animal gave itself completely on that altar as it was burned to a crisp. Now, how do you do that? There's two things. First, go through every member of your body and surrender it to God. Go through every part of your body, surrender to God. Bill, God, I surrender my eyes to you. Therefore, I will not go into a place and look for things to steal. These are not my eyes anymore. They're your eyes. I surrender these hands to you, Lord Jesus. They're not my hands anymore. They're yours. Therefore, I will not and cannot use them to grab something to steal. I surrender my feet to you, Lord Jesus. These feet are not my feet anymore. They're your feet. Therefore, they will not take me to some place that I might steal something. And then Sam does the same thing. He says, these eyes are not my eyes, God. They're your eyes. And they will not be used to look at things that would cause me to lust. These hands are your hands and they will not be used to pick up a pornographic magazine or go on a pornographic website. These feet are your feet and they will not be used to take me places that would cause me to sin. And so you surrender every member of your body to the Lordship of Christ, totally surrendered as a living sacrifice. And then secondly, surrender every area of your life, only every member of your body, but every area of your life. Sam needs to surrender his thought life because it is in his thoughts that he has this tremendous issue with lust. And so he said, Lord, I surrender my thought life to you. I surrender my leisure time to you because Sam noticed it was in his leisure time that he was most tempted. And so I surrender my leisure time to you. And when I have free time, I will no longer do what I want to do, but I'll say, Lord, what do you want me to do with that free time? Bill surrendered the material aspect of his life, his material possessions, because he realized that part of his stronghold of stealing was was fired and, and encouraged and incited by his desire for material things. And because he wanted things, he was tempted more to steal. And so he said, God, I surrender all my possessions to you. I want nothing that you don't want me to have. Also, Bill recognized that he got a thrill out of stealing. There was an emotional thrill to it. There was an emotional high to it. And so he realized he needed to surrender his emotions to the Lordship of Jesus and commit to only have those emotions that God wanted him to have. And so secondly, we need to surrender ourselves completely as a living and holy sacrifice to God. Thirdly, reckon the old flesh powerless. That old sin nature powerless. Romans 6 Paul says, knowing this, that our old self, and he's talking about that sin nature we talked about earlier, was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer be slaves to sin. 
And then in chapter 6, verse 11, Even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul says that our old sin nature was crucified with Christ. Therefore, its power has been done away with. Now you see that phrase, be done away with? In the Greek, it means to be powerless, to be rendered ineffective, to be futile. And he says, though that old sin nature used to control you, used to rule in your life like an absolute monarch, now that you are a Christian and it has been crucified with Christ on the cross, its power now has been taken away. It's been robbed of its effectiveness in your life. It's futile now. It cannot exert any more power in your life than you allow it to do. And so you need to consider, you need to reckon, and he says there in verse 11, even so consider yourselves dead to sin, separated from the power of sin. Consider. That was an accounting term. We get our word logic from it. It means to compute. It means to think logically. It means to consider it a stated fact. To reckon it like you would reckon in a ledger. Reckon yourself separated, dead from the power of sin and alive unto God. Not only can you say no to the power of sin because its power has been broken in your life, you will and can say yes because you have Jesus living within you to give you the desire. And so what Sam does, he says, I claim the power of this lustful sin nature broken over me. I am set free. I do not have to give in to it. I can say no. And every time he says no to sin, no to this temptation to lust, you know what he's doing? He's establishing a stronghold of righteousness. See, just like Satan can get a stronghold by you yielding to sin, every time you refuse sin and yield to God, you're establishing a stronghold of righteousness for God. That's why the more you say no to temptation... It, the easier it becomes to say no to temptation. Just like the more you yield to it, the easier it becomes to you. Bill says, I claim the power of the sin nature in my life broken. It was crucified with Christ. Therefore, I do not have to give in to these temptations to steal. These strong lusts to steal. And every time he says no to sin, no to temptation, establishing a stronghold of righteousness for God. Fourth thing. Do scriptural studies. Do scriptural studies. Two things are involved in this. First, study that specific aspect of God's character that the stronghold has violated. You see, every sin is a violation of God's character in some way. In fact, the reason we sin is because we have not met God, really met Him in that aspect of His character. Let me explain. Bill is tempted to to steal because he wants to have things because he thinks by having these things he can find happiness and satisfaction. Now, Bill has never really met God in his goodness. He doesn't really know the goodness of God because if he did, he would know that God has given him everything that he really needs for a life of fulfillment and satisfaction. That true satisfaction and happiness is not going to be found in things, but in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But because he's never really met God in his goodness, he doesn't realize that and he's tempted to try to gain satisfaction through things. Same thing about uh, Sam. 
He does not understand the holiness of God. He's never really met God in His holiness. If He did, He would not even think of these entertaining these lustful thoughts and be involved in areas of pornography. Because the holiness of God would drive it out. If a person has problems with hate or revenge, they've never really met God in His love. If a person has a problem with pride, they've never really met God in His majesty. Because if you ever truly saw the majesty of God, you would know you could not be proud at all. You would be humbled. A person who has a stronghold of fear, a worry of unbelief, never has really met God in His faithfulness or His love. A person who has a stronghold of deceit has never really met God as a God of truth the truthfulness of God. And so you see, whatever the stronghold area is, you need to study the character of God that pertains to that area. Because the stronghold has developed in the past because of your faulty understanding of God in that area. So that's the first thing you do. Secondly, you need to study passages that speak directly to that stronghold area. For instance... Sam goes over to Proverbs chapter 5 and talks about staying away from the strange woman, from the adulterous woman. And he reads those passages and he studies those passages. He realizes and he takes that word picture there where Solomon said a man who goes after an adulteress is like an ox being led to the slaughter. He takes that word picture and every time he's tempted to lust, he pictures that ox being led to the slaughter. And he realizes if he entertains that lust, he's like that ox being led to the slaughter. He studies... Other passages where it talks about God's eyes being on us at all times and God sees everything we do and he realizes that he's involved in, in Internet pornography. God sees that. God sees exactly everything he does. Bill realizes that if he steals, God's watching him. Bill takes uh, and studies Scripture passages like in Joshua 7 when Achan stole some things from Jericho and as a result of it, he and his family were all killed. And so they study passages that relate to your stronghold area. Number five, lay aside the old self and put on the new self. Here we're back in Ephesians chapter 4. Lay aside the old self, put on the new self. That's basically what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 4. Now beginning in verse 22 in Ephesians 4. That in reference to your former manner of life, that is before you were a Christian, you lay aside the old self. That's that old sin nature, one that was crucified with Christ. Lay it aside. That word lay aside is used for stripping off old dirty clothes. Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Again, studying the Scriptures, getting there's those character studies we were talking about in, uh, in step number four. That's all part of renewing the mind. And put on the new self. That is, again, like putting on new clothes. Put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and in holiness of truth. Take off the old self, put on the new self. Now he talks about how to do that, how to put on the new self. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. That's laying aside the old self. Quit lying. And what else? Start speaking the truth, each of you with his neighbor. So Paul says, if you have a stronghold of lying, stop lying. Put off that old self. Put on the new self and start telling the truth. And he goes on to say, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. If you've got an anger problem and you're just letting anger build up in you and seethe in you, he says, Stop doing that. Deal with anger appropriately. 
Don't just keep holding it in and let it build up in bitterness and resentment. Number 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. All right, this speaks to Bill. He says, all right, Bill, you've been stealing. Stop stealing. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Start working. And not only start working, but take that money that you are earning and use it to buy and help people, buy things to help people in need. You see the steps? Rebuild it. Stop doing the wrong, but start doing the right. It's not enough just to stop doing wrong. We need to start doing right. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. In other words, if you've been speaking unwholesome words, stop it. But instead, only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. It's not enough just to stop cursing or stop gossiping or, or stop other sins of the tongue, but start speaking words that encourage people. Words that build people up. Words that minister God's grace. So lay aside the old self, put on the new self, as we are empowered by God's Holy Spirit. All right? All right, number six. Control your emotions. Control your emotions. Over in Galatians 5, list of fruit of the Spirit, and it says, Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, we must not make decisions based on our feelings but we must do what we know is right. We must not allow our emotions to run loose. You cannot be a person who is uh, driven by your emotions. And so when Bill is at work and he sees this a secretary he's attracted to, what does he do? He doesn't let those emotions take over. He knows that he needs to walk in righteousness before God. He is claiming this area for God, and therefore he will not follow his emotions, and he just stays away from her because he knows he is not to make any provisions. The flesh should do anything that would bring him in. When uh, Bill feels like, you know, he gets that urge to want to steal, that's the way strongholds, they kind of, the urges just keep coming back. He doesn't give in to those emotions. He says, no, I know that it's wrong. I will not give in to these emotions. I will do what is right. Self-control is doing what you know is right, not what you feel like doing or stopping myself before I do wrong. It's self-control. Number eight, excuse me, number seven, control your mind. Control your mind. Remember what Ephesians 4.23? Do not get drunk with, excuse me, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Again, important that you get your mind renewed in the Word, that you replace your thoughts with God's thoughts, and God's thoughts are found in His Word. The battle is in the mind. That's why it's so important to meditate on the Scriptures, to memorize Scriptures, and to let those dwell in your mind. When Sam is tempted for a lustful thought, a lustful image to enter into his mind, what he does is he refuses that image and he replaces it with a Scripture verse or a biblical image, like Jesus on the cross. Or, again, that ox being led to the slaughter. You see, you can't quit thinking, but you can push out certain thoughts and bring others in. And so what you've got to do is train yourself to push out the ungodly thoughts and replace them with God's thoughts. 
with a verse that he's memorized about, about holiness and about righteousness. And there's power in the Word. Number eight, receive the Holy Spirit's filling and be cleansed in the former stronghold area. Here we are in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have got to bring the filling of God's Spirit into our lives. To be filled means to be controlled moment by moment by the Spirit of God. That's the only way we're going to completely reclaim these areas for God is by His power as we are filled, as we are controlled moment by moment by His Spirit. And so as you surrender to God every area of your life, you're saying, I receive the filling of Your Spirit in my life in this area. Sam says, Lord Jesus, I receive Your filling and empowering in my life to rebuild this area for You. Bill does the same thing. Lord, I claim the filling of Your Spirit and the empowering of Your Spirit to rebuild this stronghold area. And then number nine, keep your sins confessed up to date. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will find compassion. I cannot overemphasize how important it is that when you do sin, to immediately, don't wait till the end of the night when you're saying your prayers before you go to sleep, but confess them right then. The old country preacher used to say, I confess them as I does them. Confess them as soon as you do them. Don't wait. Right then. Say, God, I acknowledge this is wrong, and I refuse it, and I refuse to give Satan any ground of entrance in this, and I surrender this area to you afresh. Because when you've sinned, you've taken back over that area of your life. You've asked Jesus to be Lord of it, but when you sin, you've taken back over. And so you've got to say, I, I, I took over. I, I admit it's wrong. I, I stand against it. I don't want it in my life. I re-surrender to you. must deal with sin immediately. And then finally, number 10. Remember inch by inch. Little by little, God says, these strongholds were developed in your life over years and years and years. It's a little unrealistic to think that they're going to be possessed by God overnight. It's going to take time. But little by little, by God's grace, Following these steps, you can see these areas rebuilt for God. And what Satan meant for evil, God will use for good, and you will have a stronghold of righteousness where there was that stronghold of sin. And the more your area is freed from those strongholds, the more you become like Christ, the more you grow in the spiritual. Let's pray.